I would say do what you need to do to set yourself up so you have the freedom and the ability to really execute your dreams in the way that you would like. But also at some point, you're going to have to jump and trust yourself when that moment comes. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have Elsa Isaac. Elsa is an NYC-based fashion and image stylist who believes style is really all about self-expression. A seasoned pro with 17 plus years in the fashion industry, the East African-born stylist has built quite a noteworthy portfolio, having bestowed her stylish magic on everyone from Marie Forleo to Lenny Kravitz, Katie Couric to Chris Carr. Nowadays, she helps successful career women and entrepreneurs revamp their wardrobes, plus create show-stopping ensembles that flatter their unique body shape and lifestyles. A self-dubbed anti-fashion stylist, Elsa doesn't believe there's one standard of beauty and strives to empower all of her clients to celebrate their own individuality. So we're getting ready to get into the episode in one second, but I just wanted to let you guys know a fun fact. Elsa and I actually tried to record this episode two other times and we kept having technical issues or just the universe wasn't aligning for us, but we were finally able to come together a third time. Third time's a charm. So I can't wait for you to hear all about her experience as a fashion and image stylist and to really understand how she's able to make it in this world that doesn't have a clear blueprint. Let's get right into it. Elsa, welcome, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you, Nikayla? I'm doing great. Um, third time's a charm. I'm so happy to speak to you again. <laughs> me too. Thank you for, um, you know, taking the time to hang out with me for the third time. Right. And, you know, guys, I know this is the first time you are hearing this, but um, you know that I thought this conversation was just so valuable for us to try three times to make it happen. So shout out to Elsa for being flexible. And now let's jump right into it. Tell us a little bit about your background. Um, I know you're East African born. Which country in East Africa? Eritrea. All right. What was it like being born there and then ultimately immigrating to Canada? Was it a culture shock? You know, honestly, I, I'm, I have the worst memory ever. So I don't remember that transition. I was five. Um, well, I was three when we left Eritrea and then we did a little bit of time in Italy. And then I was five when we got to Canada. So if there, I mean, clearly there was a transition, but I don't remember it. And it must have not been traumatic is what I think. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in Canada and were you always kind of entrepreneurial when you were growing up? Did you have a creative side? Tell us some more about that. Yes, definitely. Um, I, I I remember like wanting to organize, you know, kind of like group events for our neighborhood kids, like us and, and um, our family and, and all the other families in our hood. When I was a kid, like I remember wanting to start something called Fun City which was essentially like a mini carnival. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> How old were you? I, I want to say probably maybe around 10, um, 10, 11. And as the oldest, you kind of grow up fast because, you know, culturally, the oldest, especially the, a female oldest, is helping mom in the kitchen and helping mom with the, with 
with my brothers and, and I started babysitting really, really young. So I don't know if I understood like, and maybe most kids don't like what, like that age was going to limit you. Like, you're just like, Oh, I'm just going to do this thing. And then my dad looked at, I, I had, I remember I wrote it all down, like what the plan was, all the different, you know, kind of games. Oh, you were organized. You were serious. (laughs) I really was. And of course that took money. So my dad was like, okay, maybe next year, you know? Um, but yeah. And I was always creative, but I remember, like, I remember playing with my dolls and really being more interested with their clothes. Um, and sometimes their hair, but mainly their clothes. And I just remember in like knowing what I had to say when people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, but then also knowing deep within myself that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So what would you say when people asked? Oh, I think I said doctor and a singer. Uh, I don't know where the heck I got singer from because I was not that so funny how even as kids, we know we can start to read people and we're like, okay, this is what they want to hear. And we start to suppress sides of ourselves because we're like, this is what they want to hear. I'm not even going to tell them the truth. It's crazy. Like we really, that's why I'm, you know, I have a two and a half year old. I'm, I'm, I actually, even, even with my crappy memory, I do remember that. I remember feeling like I always had to like put on for my parents, Mm -hmm. you know, like that was a priority. Yes. So did that creativity carry over to school and what you studied, for example, in college? Yes, because by the time um, I was in college, I knew what I wanted to do like for a year. I knew what I wanted to do in high school. So I, I, I knew I was smart in the sense that I could really apply myself, you know, so I got, I got the academics part down in junior high and at the end of junior high, because before my dad would always tell me when we went to the award ceremonies at the end of the year, like, you know, the, the biggest award was the highest average in the school. So he'd always say, I want, that's what I want. Like, I want you to get that. And I remember getting that award and I, we weren't even there because my dad and I were in Eritrea at the time during that ceremony. But I remember telling my dad, dad, guess what? Mom said I got the award. And he was like, good job. I knew you could do it. And then that was it. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? I worked my butt off. and that, Right. That, that was it. That literally, that was, the I think, the moment when I was like, OK, I got to do things for me now. Like that mm-hmm. was so not worth it, you know. Yep. And so I really started to like slowly start to develop. I took like sketching classes because I wanted to be a designer, a fashion designer. Um, and I didn't really know what that took, but I was just like, well, I, I see people sketching and I entered competition. So I just started to do things throughout high school so that when they heard me say in that, you know, last year of high school, like I want to go to, you know, fashion school, they weren't like, where's this coming from? You know, they had been hearing about it and I'm kind of stubborn. So they were, they were just like, I was just like, like, I'm not going to school. Like if I don't go to school for this, I'm not going to school. And so they ended up taking me seriously. And I ended up in Ryerson, which is in Toronto, um, for at the time, it was the only degree program for fashion in in, in the country. So um, I yeah, I think I, I, I fostered my own creativity, I think, all throughout high school and probably a little bit before then. I love that. And way to, you know, really be firm and, and know what you want at a young age. And it's no easy feat to convince parents to like, you know, go with your plan and not the plan they had in their head. So kudos to you. So now let's talk about your fashion and image styling hustle when you actually started to work on people. How did you get started? Who was your first client? Yeah, I had no dreams or desires to be a stylist because I actually had no idea that existed. 
So I was probably in my second year of college when, um, and I was working part-time at a bank to support myself. And I, I had a friend who worked at the bank too. And he was just like, he's, he was in the music industry. And he said, Hey Elsa, we're doing a music video for one of the artists. We'd love to have you style the video. <laughs> I kind of looked at him like, Oh, okay, great. What does that have to do with me? Like I'm flattered, but I don't do that. Like I want to be a designer. And he was like, I, I know you can do it and I know you've never done this before, but like, I'll walk you through it. We'll walk you through it. You'll have a credit card. It'll be fine. And I'm like, just kept trying to tell him no to get out of it, like over several days and he would not take no for an answer. And so finally I was like, okay, fine. Like You have to tell me every step, like what happens? What do I do? And so he walked me through it and, you know, I, I did it. And I remember the day of the shoot, like really just really excited to put the outfits together, not, not understanding any of it really, even still when, when the day of the shoot came and having people come up to me after every outfit I put together saying, Oh my gosh, so-and-so looks so good. Or where did you get that, you know, piece of the garment or the outfit? And it was just like, wait, I think they must be just doing this to gas me up. Like, <laughs> So at the end of the 14 long 14 hour day, my friend came up to me and he gave me a check and he's like, I knew you could do it. You did. You killed it. Like you did an amazing job. Thank you so much. And I was like, what? Like, this is for real. And that was the first time because I realized I'm good at this. It wasn't something that I had to go to school for. This was an innate talent that somehow, some way, this man saw in me for whatever reason. And that was that was the beginning. Like they ended up hiring me for several of their projects uh, thereafter. Um, and that's and, and I pretty much got my start in doing music videos and, and working with Canadian music artists for for several years. Wow, that is amazing. And you're right. It's so it's so amazing that he saw that in you when you didn't even see it in yourself. What do you think it was? Had you styled anything before? Were you, you know, did you talk about clothes? He knew I was in school for fashion for sure. Um, but and, and honestly, Nikayla, I wasn't even like that good on, at dressing myself. <laughs> I hadn't found myself yet. So I feel like right. I was definitely awkward for a while before. Exploring. Exactly. And I actually think my styling other people helped me evolve my own style. I wasn't one of those people that like style came naturally to myself. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I really, I, I feel like I should reach out and ask him. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like it doesn't matter, but it's just so amazing that he's able, he was able to, to spot. And it, it could have just been a coincidence, right? Like his only friend in fashion, but it is still, you know, like that moment was meant to be. And yeah. it's, it's, it's also interesting that you say learning to style other people helped you with your own style. Because I think sometimes we need to teach someone else um, the things we take for granted, like just being able to explain and, and having to hold ourselves accountable and say, okay, how do I break this down to someone else? Then it makes it, it gives us clarity. It's like, oh, yeah, I can apply this to my own life. <laughs> exactly. It's almost like you have to see it work mm -hmm. on someone else. Yep. And then you're like, oh, wait, I'm struggling with this too. So you can easily see something for someone else, but it, it may take like years before you see that for yourself. Yep. And I also love the fact that he handed you a check that very first gig. I struggle with, you know, hearing people who talk about um, internships, unpaid internships, and how much experience you can get from that, because I just think that it's just, 
it's hard. Well, <laughs> it's impossible to pay your bills with no money. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I really am about like, yes, I want, I was always like, I want to get that experience, but I also want to be paid. And I don't think the two have to be mutually exclusive. So I, I'm glad that he set that tone that like, yes, you're a novice and you're new to this, but you are skilled and should be paid. And you know what? That's a really great point. Cause I don't even think that dawned on me until like I, I started working outside of you know, with them outside of that company, like realizing, you know, what that pay situation in the freelance world looked like. Um, and, and I remember thinking it was, it was so easy with them. It was always so easy with them. And I realized like, that's not the case in the real world, quote unquote. Yes. So after that experience, did you immediately start uh, styling some more videos or was, was it kind of like starts and stops? Yeah, it was definitely like by project um, because I was still in school. So time was definitely limited. We did end up doing actually kind of like a, a editorial kind of project within my, my my schooling. So I felt like I had some experience going into that project because I had done I had done the music video. So it was very kind of uh, case by case basis with the company. And then after I graduated, um, it became a little difficult to, even though I knew I wanted to do that, I was still had to, I was working at restaurants part-time, actually full-time, um, and doing styling part-time because, you know, the Canadian industry is a lot, uh, let's say the Toronto industry, but if the Toronto industry is smaller, like where Canada is really a 10th of the population of the U S so the people who were already working the, like the majority of, you know, let's say e-commerce or catalog jobs end up getting the same jobs, right? There's, there's agencies that represent the artists and it was really hard to be represented by an agency. So it was getting a little frustrating. And, and in 2006, I decided that I, if I was going to start from scratch, I I was going to do it now. And I had fallen in love with New York. So I decided to move to New York then. Just like that, huh? <laughs> it wasn't just like that. Right, right. What steps were involved in that? Like, you know, moving to a whole different country. Yeah, it's it, it was not easy at all. Like it was um and I will say I feel like the younger cuz I up and left, you know, my family's house to go to Toronto, but I feel like the younger you are, the more uh willing and 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 almost like apt you are to take on risks. And I feel like in 2006 moving here was a bit harder, but it also was also a different country. So I I had kind of built a relationship with a stylist and and over the, before I had even moved to New York. And so she was aware. And, and so I started working with her as an assistant for three and a half years, I want to say. So she helped me tremendously. She recommended me to other stylists. I got to learn the industry. I got to learn New York City from assisting. Um, and she was also an advocate of like, you know, you don't necessarily always have to assist for free. It's cool if you want to work with like someone in particular to do it like once, maybe twice there's enough work in the city that you don't have to assist for free. Yes. And so I feel like I was guided in the, in the right direction, you know, almost from jump. And she was, and she was actually, I would say the first time I understood the business side of styling. Cause I just was caught up in, you know, kind of this shopping, like the technicalities of like shopping, putting outfits together. Like that was the main piece of it for me. And then through her, I understood how much of it was, was admin and invoicing and keeping, you know, like your stuff, 
um, you know, just keeping track of the, the stuff you borrow or the stuff you buy and having assistance. And, you know, like it was it, it was the first time I was like, oh, so this is how this this is that you can keep this organized. This is how you can, you know, work on multiple projects at one time. So that was the first time I thought of it as like a as a real business. Like I'm like, oh, crap, I'm just I'm not just out here making people look good. I got to sustain the business. Yes. And what was that like? You know, as you were getting your sea legs, so to speak, in New York, um, how were you able to pay your bills while also learning? You know, and learning comes at a cost. It comes at a lower pay. So New York is an expensive city. How are you doing this? Uh, well, I had I was staying with family friends for the first few months. So that definitely helped the rent free. Um, but I was working. So I remember I came in with with um, kind of like a, a setup in terms of work before I moved here. So I didn't have to necessarily, I didn't waste any time searching for work. Okay. But were you full-time styling at this point? Yes, I was full-time styling, but on the weekends, I think after a couple of months of moving here, I took on a babysitting job. So the family only needed, they already had a nanny during the week. So I was just kind of the weekend babysitter. Got it. And it worked out perfectly. So for a long time, I was, I was a lot, oftentimes I was working seven days a week. And so, you know, every stylist doesn't have a job every day of the week. So I had to kind of, you know, have a roster of like three, maybe two to four stylists that I would work with. Um, and so that kept me busy for a long, long time. And, um, and then eventually you just kind of start getting your name out there. Honestly, assisting was the biggest advocate for me getting jobs. It Why was is that? Because you meet producers and editors on jobs. And sometimes when, when you know, my, the stylist wasn't available, let's say she was booked on another job because I was her head stylist, uh, head assistant, I'd be able to go and do the, the job that called after she was booked on a, sp- a specific date. So I was able to, to, to literally style jobs on her behalf. So she would still get credit. We'd both get credit. But then what happens is they see your skill level. So I've, there, I've, I've definitely gotten, you know, close with other editors or editors through her just from being, you know, her assistant. Got it. And I and, like the fact that people are open to having, assi- I mean, clearly they need to have assistance, but also they could easily be threatened by you, right? Especially when they see how good you are and say, oh, I don't know, this girl might, you know, she might take my spot. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you build relationships and camaraderie that are about collaboration rather than competition when you're in the same field? Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it it's definitely exists for sure. And I think ultimately that probably started happening a little bit towards the end of our relationship with the stylist that I was working with. I think she was, I think she was great actually for the most part because it allowed her to have that flexibility, right? Like you, you don't have to say I'm not available. And usually, you know, the industry has a short or or long memory, (laughs) but like when you say you're not available, chances are they won't call you on the next one. Mm. Her her ability to say, Hey, I can shop for it, but Elsa, Elsa can Elsa style it on that day. And because I had worked on so many shoots with her, with these other clients, they were like, sure, we love Elsa. That's, that's no problem. You know, so it, it, in a, and she kind of still got paid for the job. <laughs> Wait, but you got paid too, right? I got paid too. Okay, but a portion. I got paid for the day, right? Uh, so I got okay, the stylist okay. rate for the day, but she still got paid for the prep and the, and the, and the returns also, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was just, she was just really losing out on that day. 
So she was still making money. So it made sense. It it really made her be able to take on more jobs by having someone she trusts on, on, on her team and vice versa. It helped me build rapport. And, and honestly, I didn't necessarily want to be in the same, um, category as her. I didn't necessarily, she did a lot of like, you know, some fitness and, and lifestyle type of, of jobs, which I wasn't necessarily like, it wasn't my, my kind of, uh, specialty or, or, or a cup of tea, but, um, I, I appreciated everything about how she set herself up as a business and that in turn helped me. And of course I had to do my own, you know, kind of networking on above and beyond that. Cause I can't just rely on, you know, her, her, her projects or her people, her connections to, to, you know, fuel my own career. Did it also give you an opportunity? You mentioned that you didn't necessarily want to be in her lane or specialty. Did it give you an opportunity to kind of explore editorial shoots or, um, you know, different types of shoots and see where you want to land? Yeah, I did. Uh, I remember being uh, called by Essence. Um, a friend of mine had connected me with them. And I, my first job, my first job at Essence was doing this like monthly recurring, like m- I think it was like man of the month or single man of the month or something. So I did like a few of those. And then li- after that, they were like, Hey, you want to style the Cosby's? <laughs> I like, yeah, I want to style the Cosby's. Like, like, and that was the reason why I wanted to move here. Like, I feel like things moved so much faster, mm-hmm. in New York, you know? Because everybody, it's such a small, even though it's, you know, nine, 10 million people here, but it's such a small industry in a way, you know? And so I, I ended up, it did, it definitely taught me, it, working with the stylist taught me what I didn't want to do, but it also kind of led me to this crossroads because I was like, I don't even know if I like, because, you know, editorials don't pay that much. Um, it's really for the, for, the, for the publication name, you know, you get published in a magazine. Um, so I just kind of was like, listen, I don't know if I want to work in the commercial world. Like it's not fulfilling. And I, and it almost felt like I didn't, I I was like, am I quitting? Am I, do I not want to be a stylist anymore? So there was definitely a a kind of like a low point where I was like, I don't know what to do. And of course you're not actively pursuing work when you're like not feeling it, you know? So I was like, I don't know what to do. And then I came across Marie Forleo randomly. And I realized through a program that I signed up for, uh, then in 2010 that I could really pivot this business and make it my own. And so that's what happened, uh, in 2011. So I want to talk more about this pivot. So first of all, when it comes to being an image and fashion stylist, can you talk about what the options are? You know, it it feels like editorial, I would, I would have thought that it was like a great opportunity financially and, you know, um, for building your brand, but you've just taught me that that's not necessarily the case. So what are your options when you, you want to build a career in this? Well, I will tell you, and, and I don't think much has changed. I'm a little bit removed from that industry, but editorials pay the least amount. So it's really editorials is for building a name for yourself. You're right in that. It, de- it definitely, cause you get uh, recognition. You can, especially now you can like circulate the images of, of all these publications you've worked with. And also it's easier to get like designer clothing when you're working with a magazine, right? You can't just say I'm styling like, you know, this corporate CEO, can I please borrow some clothes, Fendi, 
that's not going to happen. Like, <laughs> they want credit, right? So yep, they yep. Want credit. It's all, it's like a mutual, mutually beneficial relationship. And so editorials were really just for you to get your creative outlet out in, in the world and also make a name for yourself. So people knew what you were capable of and, and knew where to find you. Um, but really the jobs that paid were like pharmaceutical gigs and Target. What? What is a pharmaceutical gig? <laughs> it is, it's the most boring job <laughs> you will ever have. Like we'll come with like a color palette this is the exact shade of blue we want. And this is the exact shade of green. Like they know exactly what they want. And they're, you know, they're doing all those commercials that you see on TV. Um, or they're doing pamphlets, you know, that they're, you know, handing out in their biannual, whatever conference, like you, you have to, and you, we all know how much money these companies have. So their, their rates are usually like a thousand dollars a day or whatever. So those jobs, which you don't, you would never have like, ever thought to make that a, you know, kind of like a, a goal to, to work for corporate companies. But I guess people now do. Mm-hmm. Those were the companies that paid you the most. And if, and usually if you're doing a, like, let's say a video shoot or a commercial, those are multiple days. You're, you're shopping for multiple days, you're shooting for multiple days. And it usually takes a couple of days to return. Look at that. You learn something new every day. So now let's talk about that transition in your business. So I know uh, Marie has since changed like her course offerings, but talk to us about that initial course you took and how you decided to pivot the business. Absolutely. So uh, it was called Virtual Mastery and it was a 12 month virtual program. And it was um, a community based, a group program that she operated on Ning. And, um, you know, she, she kind of, she, it's a lot of it is with the principle she teaches in B school, if anyone is, is in B school, but it was, I think for me, it was the, the online component, right? So here I am clearly down a rabbit hole on the internet, probably that started with Google <laughs> and I find Marie and I'm going through this time in my life where I don't know like what I'm, what I want to do next. And I find her and I just hand her $2,500, right? <laughs> and I'm like, look how she was able to reach me. I think just the, the, the window of opportunity of like, hey, you don't have to do it this one way. And truth be told, it was kind of an archaic way, really, when you think of like the styling industry, because people are usually, you know, not quick to jump on new ways of doing things. So I was like, okay, so if I don't want to work with a commercial, and I obviously, and I, I didn't want to work with celebrities either, because that meant like you have to be on their schedule. If they're on tour, if they're doing a press promo, like the logistics and, and the lack of sleep, like I knew I was, I was older too. I was getting older at this point. So I was like, quality of life mattered to me, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, there's gotta be a different way to do this. And so I just kind of like immerse myself in the program and just really just like I was open to whatever it could be. And what was the goal of the program just to get you to create a business that didn't require you to be to 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 be on other people's schedule as much? I think it, it, it's in essence, it, it was it was kind of like the the baby version of B-School because uh, the goal was to create an online business. OK, right. And so that's when I first discovered blogging, believe it or not, like through that program. And so I had kind of set up a different site aside from my commercial site where I had my portfolio up and where everyone went to like see my work. 
And then I had built a separate site after, you know, going through Marie's program. And that was going to be like my personal styling, you know, kind of place in the world. Uh-huh. And that's where I had like, I created a, my body shape calculator during that course, you know, that helped women d- determine their body shape by entering their body shape measurement. Yes. And then I was like, okay, cool. I have this, I have two worlds. And I remember doing a call with Marie because, you know, you had, you had, you had access to Marie every month and, and then even more so, so in the program, in the, in the community group, online community portal. Um, she was like, why do you have two sites? And then <laughs> she went, and what my, year was this again? 2010. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so she was like, what's your other site? Cause she was looking at my blogging site. And so I told her, I, you know, I, I sent her the link for the other site and she's like, wait, you worked with who and who? And he, she's like, that's the shit I want to know about. Like, you need to like combine these sites. Like, I don't think they need to be different. And so she, at that point, saw who I had worked with. And I think that had stuck with her. Then a few months later, she called me to style her for one of the promos for B-School. I think Look it was like- Look at that. Right? I just love that. I just love that story so much. It's just insane because I was just like, and I had, you know, she wasn't like anyone I had known about for long. But I was like, how cool is that? Like I, in less than a year, I'm styling this woman and then styling her and being then, because, you know, when you're in now, now I'm in the entrepreneurial online world, right? So being in that world and then styling Marie and then seeing all and hearing about all the struggles, women entrepreneurs, obviously all entrepreneurs, but I think I took a a focus on women um, with branding and, 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 and showing up as their best self and, you know, just how much brain space that occupied for women. I just started like, Hey, let me see if other women want to do this. And that's literally how I, I realized that this was the work that really was meaningful to me. And that lit me up. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsor. So the number one question I get about side hustling is how do I get started? And the other day I decided to kind of take inventory of what I was doing in my early days of side hustling. How did I get started with Side Hustle Pro? And the biggest thing that stood out to me is that I was always investing in skill and personal development. And I like to do just in time learning. So when I was ready to do something new or try something else, I would invest in a class to learn that skill and then practice implementing it. So the rest of my development and learning came from my actual experience. So I highly recommend you do the same. What is it that you wanna do? Do you wanna finally put up your website? Then head over to Skillshare and take a class on putting up your website. Do you want to get started with social media and you're not sure how to start? Head over to Skillshare and start taking some classes. Skillshare is so great because it's an online learning community. It has over 25,000 classes in anything you can think of from photography to entrepreneurship, even podcasting. And right now they are offering a special offer just for Side Hustle Pro listeners. You can get two months of unlimited access to Skillshare for free. Imagine what you can do in two months, how many classes you can take. But remember to do the implementation piece, all right? So head over to Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro. That's Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro to get started with your two free months. And one more time, that's Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro. At this point, your online business was going to be devoted to personal image and fashion styling. That's what Marie's program helped you to do. Yes. 
And then how long did you side hustle before you took this on full time? Uh, probably another two years. Well, I, my first gig with her was in 2011. Yeah. So about two years. Okay. So, you know, one of the things I do love about your site is that personal body shape calculator that you mentioned briefly. What inspired you to come up with that? Well, it, uh, so two things uh, that, that is how I work with women. That's like, like my first starting point, right? That's the foundational part when I'm working with someone new is okay. Well, I need to know what, what their silhouette is. And, um, a lot of women assumed, oh, I think I'm, I'm the apple. Or, <laughs> I hate those damn fruits. I hate those damn fruits. That was part two. I was like, I hate being referred to as a pear. Like I'm not a pear. Right. And that's why I like your calculator. Cause I'm like putting it in, putting in my, you know, stats, expecting to get told that I'm something, I don't know, a square or a rect, I don't know what. And you're like, oh no, you're Jennifer Lopez girl. I'm like, what? Yes. <laughs> like, oh, I like that. Then you're not like, intimidated by right. it or like, you know, you kind of, okay, tell me more. Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Exactly. And so it's, I can it's, work it's, with this. Right. It was just a way to empower women. Cause I feel like we beat ourselves up all the time. All about the our time. Body and, and then it was like, okay, you have now in, in, you've informed yourself with the biggest part of, of dressing for your shape for yourself. And that's knowing what your body shape is. And then I also uh, provide a guide. So that gives you some, t- some tips and pointers um, in terms of what types of uh, silhouettes look best on you, what to avoid, things like that. And I just, I just thought that that was going to be the reason people took, women took more interest in it without, it was kind of like, you know, when you like, you just don't want to look at that part of yourself. It's like sometimes me with my finances, I'm so much better now, but I would like, it would be like a blindfold. I'm like, well, what, what I don't know won't hurt me. <laughs> You know? <laughs> not good nope 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 yeah, yeah, that didn't work out for me so I had to I had to be you know I had to like strip all of of the barriers and just you know I, I don't think it, there was a fun way for me to do it but I wanted this to be a fun and empowering moment for women because I you know I always tell my clients and 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 anyone who's in my community that you cannot be upset or or hold your body responsible for a a garment not fitting your body because this designer has never met you has no idea what your body shape and nuances are their job as a company is to sell as many pieces as possible so they are creating a silhouette that will hopefully fit as many different body shapes as possible so your job is to find the, the 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 size or the garment that fits you like 80 85 percent of the way Sometimes it's a hundred. And if it is, that's great. But 80 to 85 is really, really good. And then you can tweak the remainder with, with tailoring. And then you have a custom tailored garment. Yes. Yes. I love that, that you focus on getting people to dress for their shape and not for their size. You know, the, the numbers and our society has got us really hung up on numbers, on the scale, on the measuring stick. And knowing that, you know what, like these Garments are made in an assembly line to, you know, hopefully fill as many people as possible and automate the process. And it's not personal. And it's just about starting with the shape and going from there. Exactly. It is not personal. And that's why when you see like the higher end garments, you know, that cost like four or five hundred dollars, if not more, the reason they I mean, some of it is definitely like, you know, padded for sure. 
but they're, they're spending more time on their patterns, right? They're spending more time fitting a one garment style on their fit models. So they're going through the process of trying to get it as close as possible. But even still, literally the nuances, like you, I think you said your result was a Jennifer Lopez. I'm a JLo too, but the difference is like, we could, we could like, I could probably find a list of, of ways our bodies are different. Even exactly. Yeah. Silhouette, you know? So it's just important to just take that power back and understand that you just need to find as good as possible and then know that you have the power to make that garment your own through tailoring. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about client retention. So it's one thing to have a big celebrity name on your resume, but it's another thing for them to continually come back and for you guys to form a relationship. Can you share some tips or just insight on what makes someone like Marie Forleo always come back to you for styling? Um, I think like really just being yourself and hopefully yourself is kind. And um, I, honestly, I just cared about who I was working with, you know? So if I was on my way to set and I, and I was going to Starbucks, I might be like, I might text the team and be like, hey, anybody want something? Or just taking the extra time, like just, you know, like just being understanding and being a human being. I think, you know, uh, celebrities is great. Like if, if that's your goal and that's the, the, the industry and, and you want to kind of move forward in. But for me, I found that like ce- celebrities a lot of times feel awkward themselves. So a lot of times they're guarded <laughs> and, and some of them aren't nice, you know, and I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to be in the industry just to be able to work with celebrities. Like I realized during that transition period that the reason I was struggling is because I was doing what I thought, what I thought I, I, I had to do in order to quote unquote, make it in my industry and making it in my industry is like, you know, you're doing, you're, you're styling runway shows for designers or you're on the road with Rihanna and, you know, styling these high, a, a, you know, a, a class celebrities. But I realized I had to be honest about what I truly, what made me happy and what I, what was important to me. And I wanted to work with women who really needed what I had to offer, like could, could really benefit, could change their life by just showing up and showing the world who they were in the most authentic way possible and not feeling like they had to show up as somebody else because that was what the world expected of them. It was like really helping women. And I think that's what, you know, like uh, the mutual attraction between Marie and I was like, she felt like I was genuine and I felt like she was the most, like the greatest employer ever, like greatest client ever. Cause she would at the end and she still does this to this day at the end of every job or fitting, she'll tell you Elsa, great job. Thank you so much for all your hard work. And it's, it's, it's just appreciation on both ends. And I think that to me, it, it, it feeds what we're doing so much more. And I, and, and, and you can even see the, like how much has changed from the time we started to, to, to this day. And I feel like that's because we trusted one another and we respected one another's work. And it wasn't like, I'm your employer. I pay you. I'm, you know, like uh, you do what I say. Yeah. It was based on mutual respect. 
When you were first starting out, what were the first steps you took to build out your portfolio and client list beyond Marie? Or was was she a big source of your referrals? She was 100% like the biggest source of referrals for me. And so I kind of had a crappy personal styling site up for a while. But I, you know, after a, a year, maybe two years of working with her, I started working with some amazing other women and I had new images to share. So I kind of rebranded and, um, you know, kind of built the type of business that she recommends in terms of having an email list and, um, you know, having a blog post. And so that was probably the biggest shift was operating differently. Like I didn't have to be represented by an artist agency and I wasn't like, so it wasn't like I was getting work through an agency. I was really just doing the hard work and, and doing a good job for my clients. And then they would also then refer me to other people. So I know it's not like, (laughs) it's not sexy, but referrals are still my number one source of how I get clients. And how do you kind of systematize your life? So for example, for me every month, and it's something I'm getting used to as an entrepreneur Every month is like you have kind of a projection of uh, your income. You have a projection based on what you know you'll be doing and who you know you'll be working with, what advertisers, clients, whatever is going to be on the show. For, for me personally, for example, how do you predict what your income will be, especially since a lot of this is referrals? Are you proactively going out there and getting people when you feel like, oh, I want to make X more per month? Do you have some virtual services? How do you make sure that you have what you need each month? Good question. Um, I will say I, um, I, I'm, I'm married. So we've been together for a long time, like 10 years now. We've been living together for maybe eight of those years. So what's been awesome is that he is the nine to fiver. <laughs> <laughs> he has a steady paycheck. And so that definitely helped in those beginning years because you know, I'm also a hustler. So if like, if, if, if I needed to make extra money, like I could, I was like going and looking for like babysitting jobs, you know, on the weekends, but that has been definitely the hardest part for me. Like it, and of course, like living my life with someone who doesn't live like that. So just kind of like balancing all that out. But I really just, we just kind of know what he's coming in and then I add on, on top of that, like we, and then we just kind of like, if, if when I bring in like more than normal, that kind of gets saved. Um, so it's kind of like, you kind of have to work your way up to, and, and some people may just want to like not quit their full-time gig until they have a certain amount, like, so they can project and give themselves the room to like, not have steady gigs for six months. Right, right. I side hustled for a long time because that's how long it took. And, you know, Marie always says this because she, th- she did the same thing before she went full time in her coaching business. She says that if you're stressed out about money, when you're doing your heart's work, you know, you, the work you want to do, ultimately, it's just going to stress that, that business out. You're going to be, you, you won't be focused on doing a good job because you're just going to be desperate to take any new client and, um, it, it, it no longer becomes, it just kind of takes the integrity out of what you do. Yes. So really just to, to have that, whatever financial resource you need to be able to do the best job possible in that soul work that you're, that, that, that side hustle that you're wanting to become full time. I, that's really the best answer 
Um, you know, and if you have, if you're partnered up, if you have a partner that can help, help you like supplement every other month or, you know, depending on how your, your industry works, that's also great too. As long as you have that understanding, I think I, I, I always kind of like, you have a nine to five, your job is boring, but like his boring job has been our stability. Yes. (laughs) Years, you know. And that's why I'm all about keeping the boring job for as long as you need to, because I totally echo Marie that, you know, if you if you have to stress about that next paycheck, like everything you thought you would enjoy doing because this is your passion, it that goes out the window and is replaced by stress. Yes, yes, it's so true. And 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 sometimes you just want to like it takes a certain amount of, let's say, resources or time for you to be able to carry out what you do and the way you do them that makes you different. And that makes your clients feel, you know, how you want them to feel. Yep, yep. If you need those things, don't rush it. Like mm-hmm. if that's in, like an in, integral part of how your business operates, then take your time because there really is no rush as long as you're building the business on the side, you know, as long as it's continually growing. I don't think there's really any rush. I think I was in a rush for a long time because I felt like, oh, I'm like in my 30s, you know, like what is this going to look like that I'm still babysitting? But that's all ego. It has nothing to do with the actual work I was doing. Yes, ego. Ego will trip you out. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Ego will have you not willing to do what you need to do because you think that you got to prove something to some other person. Um, So ignore the ego as much as possible. Do what you got to do. Speaking of that, do you have any advice for personal stylists that listen to this show? And I know for a fact there are many of you out there. Um, how do you market yourself and gain new clients in 2019? Oh, um, I think that there's multiple ways, which is really great. I think that's that's number one. I don't think you have to pigeonhole yourself in any other way. Um, I will say referrals is definitely something you should not um, consider. Because even in this amazing age of social media and, you know, webinars and newsletters, like all of that is great. You should definitely have a newsletter. That would be my second, my second recommendation, but maybe even set up like a referral program with clients. You know, I actually don't do that, but I I think I might just introduce that because it's just so amazing how great my clients are, you know, like they just, they, they continuously recommend, refer me to, uh, to other people. So really focus on how you can a deliver your best work all the time and then set up a referral program with your current clients. And then second, if you do have like some type of, um, you know, online presence, funnel them into an email list so that you always have, um, ties and a way to communicate with that community of yours, whether it be Facebook. And, and I don't think you have to be everywhere. I really think just like pick a place like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I know no young people are on Facebook anymore. (laughs) But, you know, really just focus. I I just, when you're, sometimes when you're everywhere, the message is diluted. So just Mm -hmm. kind of like focus on one channel and really drive that home and get them on a list as much as possible. So I'm curious, why do you call yourself the anti-stylist? The anti-fashion stylist? The anti-fashion stylist, yes. Because I was never... um, I'm really like, you know, a lot of my clients will tell me they they feel like they're shopping with a friend. Um, I'm really down to earth and don't really dig the scenes for the sake of like just being seen. And so I've been to a couple fashion shows early on when I first moved here and I just didn't vibe with the energy. I don't feel represented. 
you know, as, as an, not only as a black woman, but as an African woman, I don't feel that we are represented well or often. And I just don't, I feel like there's a lot of, um, disingenuous energy and even like work, like even like being on set for a photo shoot, like how much clamping has to go on or, you know, just kind of the, the disillusion of what they're selling. And it's really, it's, it's, it is ego-based because a lot of it is about what those designers want to be presenting creatively. It's not necessarily like taking their consumer into consideration all the time. So I just felt like I was not, that was not where I was coming from. My, my perspective was about empowering women to look and feel beautiful and confident and like they can do their best work because they're putting their best foot forward. Now, let's also talk about the course you started and the virtual services you provide. What's the story behind that? What do you teach and where can people learn more about it? Uh, so, yeah, I actually introduced the virtual um styling component so I can work with clients no matter where they are in, in the world. Um, because that was, that was the thing I got asked a lot. It was, do you work with clients virtually? Cause I don't live in New York. I don't, I won't be in New York anytime soon. So I introduced that maybe about two years ago and that's been going really well. Um, and then about last year I introduced a virtual style styling program called beautiful style Academy. And I so far have, launched that twice, uh, last year. Um, so you can just get on my email list to find out when I'll be launching that next, but I have a feeling I might be turning it into a membership program. Okay. And it's nice to see people as they are kind of growing in the the online space and, and really figuring out the best opportunity for themselves and for their audience. So thank you for sharing that. And of course you can go over to elsaisaac.com to get on Elsa's email list. So, of course, I couldn't have you in the guest chair without asking for some tips. And this this might be, you know, a little bit selfish, but <laughs> as side hustlers, one of the first things we do, we get professional photos and it's always difficult to figure out what to wear, how to represent your brand. And like you said, I think touched on earlier, it's also a pain. It takes up mental space and pressure as women to just figure out how to show up. So yeah. do you have any tips on what to wear, how to dress just to make sure that our photos are bomb? Yeah. So there's, there's, I would say there may be three to four steps to kind of really get clear. Most of it is about getting clear. Um, first step is of course, know your body shape. So you can do that with the calculator on my website, elsaisaac.com. Um, and then once you know your body shape, I always I always ask my clients to choose three words that describe how you want your clothes to make you feel. So those three words, in addition to your body shape, are going to be guiding lights, right? So does this suit my body shape? No, you don't have to consider the second part. Does it suit my body shape? Yes. Okay. Does it make me feel at least two of my three words? So those words could, can be confident, sexy, creative, intelligent, um, you know, whatever those words are for you. And then the third component is, is creating a Pinterest board. And especially if you're doing a, a photo shoot or a video shoot, cr create a Pinterest board of everything that's inspiring you in, in, in the, in, and also in the direction that you want to take this particular project, right? Depending on what you're doing. So whether that be colors, cuts, fabrics, whatever it is, like create a private Pinterest board and just start pinning. And in this comment section, 
note what you do like about that photo because it doesn't necessarily have to be that you like the entire head to toe outfit. And it may even be like a curtain. You know what I mean? It may be like a, a curtain that you love, like the fabric and the color, whatever it is. And then you do that over five days and you can edit as you go along. And the more time you spend with it, the more I feel uh, refined it will become. So eventually once you're done with it, you will start to see a pattern develop. So it may be that you love pastels and you really are drawn to dresses, not so much pants, or you're really drawn to pleated skirts at the moment. So taking all of those things, then consider what you'll be doing in the photo shoot. If you're going to be doing a lot of sitting, you're going to look for fabrics and cuts that fit closer to the body. Because if you buy like a, a, a loose or ill-shaped garment, the moment you sit down, it's just going to be a pool of fabric that's going to alter your silhouette and just not look not not look um, appealing for camera. I love those tips. Yeah. And, you know, it, I think recently I've really just become more strict with myself about my body rules. I'm like, now, you know, girl, that is not for you. <laughs> that might look cute on her, but, you know, you know, go ahead and keep scrolling before you even try to purchase that online. <laughs> That's good. And sometimes you need to try on, especially if you're shopping online. Yes. If you're shopping online or wherever, even if you're going into a store, don't just bring like three things in the room or don't just purchase three things. Purchase a bunch of things because it's a numbers game with clothing, right? Do you know how many options of garments there are out there? So you have to, you, you increase the, the number of, of pieces that work for you when you're trying on, and I mean like 20 to 30 pieces. Yes. Make some time for it. And I'm about to start that process myself for an upcoming speaking engagement. So wish me luck. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to jump into the lightning round. You know the deal. You just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? The B-Schoolers group and the first, Marie's first Ning community group. Okay. And I know that may not look the same, but whatever group you can be a part of, use that group. Yes. Um, number two, what's been the best business book that you've read? I would say it's not, I'm, I'm, it's not exactly a business book. It's more of a mindset book, but I would say The Alchemist. All right. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your day? Can I say sleep? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Sleep because I have a two and a half year old. So sleep because I, he takes a lot of energy and so does my business. So sleep and then meditation. All right. Number four, what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? A uh, personal habit would have to be building relationships, like genuine relationships. And then finally, number five, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing that steady paycheck? Um, I would say that you really have to believe in yourself. Like, it may not, it's actually, it's not, it's not going to happen the way you have it in your mind. Um, you know, like there's that awesome image that I think Derek Halpern created about like the, the what we assume entrepreneurship looks like and yes. what the reality of it is. Yep, yep, yep. You know, like that's what it is. And it's not pretty all the time, but it's so worth it. So I would say do what you need to do to set yourself up. So you have the freedom and the ability to really execute your dreams in the way that you would like, but also at some point you're going to have to jump 
and trust yourself when that moment comes. You don't have to rush there, but just know you can't, you can't be side hustling forever. (laughs) Yes. So where can people connect with you after this episode? I am on Instagram and my handle is Elsa Isaac. So that's E-L-S-A-I-S-A-A-C. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at the same same name, but also on my website where you can find a ton of resources for your personal styling needs. All right. So thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair. Head over to sidehustlepro.co slash Elsa for all of the show notes from this episode, including the helpful links, the social media links and resources that Elsa mentioned in this episode. There you have it, guys. Thanks so much for joining and talk to you next week. Hey, hey, thanks for listening. Now stay connected in between episodes by texting Side Hustle Pro to 44222. You'll get my weekly Six Bullet Saturday newsletters where I share what I'm up to, what I'm reading, my business tip of the week, and resources to help you grow your side hustle. And I'm working behind the scenes on some live events, which my email list will get access to first. So make sure you're in the loop. Text Side Hustle Pro to 44222 or visit sidehustlepro.co slash SBS. Thank you.